with us. We're about to get into God's word, and I often ask, and I ask each Sunday that if you would stand with me as we read from God's word. I will read aloud. You can read silently. The words will be on the screen. We're continuing, if you're visiting with us, we're continuing in our series on, in the Gospel of John called the Jesus the Life Giver. Today we're in John chapter 6, verses 22 to 29. I'll be reading from the ESV version. The text says, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you use me as I stand? Move me out of the way so that we could see Jesus. May the cross be central as I speak, and I ask this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. There is a prominent school in the Upper East Side of New York City. And at this school, many parents want their children to go to this prestigious school for the education, but it's not just for the education. It's so prestigious that the parents want their child to go there, or their children to go there, so that they could matriculate and rub elbows and hobnob with the wealthy, so that not only will their kids get a good education, but they would also be able to enter circles that they would otherwise not be able to enter. So yes, it should be, as those of us who have kids, it should be about our kids. But no, for these parents, yeah, it's for my babies, but it's for me too. See, a parent at this school, they would lobby for what committees they would be on. They would even lobby for the classroom that their child uh, would be in. Ex example, what I read is like Katie Couric, her, her child or children attend this school. Sigourney Weaver, like these children. And so if a parent finds out that, oh, my child is the same age as their children, I want my child in that class. Here is why. I want to join some committees. They don't want to join the committees so that they can serve the committees. They want to join the committees so that they can become friends with these high-profile people in society so that it will allow them to be elevated in their lives. It will give them the best contacts. When I read this, it is sad that people have mixed motives for the education of their children. It's even worse when people have mixed motives in their pursuit of God. Motivations. Motivations. So I want to ask you this morning, 
Why do you seek God? What is your motivation for seeking him? If you even, if you read your Bible, I'm assuming that you do. Why? When you come on a Sunday gathering, when we come together, why are you here? Are you motivated because you want to see Jesus or are you motivated because I want community? Nothing wrong with community. But I think now community has become the end all be all as opposed to what God says in his word and I want to learn of him. But why are we why do we come together? Why are we motivated to seek the Lord? Proper motives, they're not just an issue for us, but we will see that the motives were also an issue for the disciples. So when we look at Scripture now, we don't need to think that we're some anomaly like, man, we're the ones that's messed up. But when we look at the disciples, these brothers won't shake ground often. Look with me at Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 40. Here Mark writes, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, if you read this before, you know this is about to go down quick. Here are two brothers, Jesus, the king. We got a question. We need for you to do whatever we ask of you. And the text says, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit. One at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. James and John's motivation was about status. It was about places of prominence. And they went to Jesus and said, would you grant us this? But guess who heard it and guess who got upset? The other 10. The other 10 were upset that they would even ask Jesus for this honor. They did not have proper motivation. So this morning in our text, we're going to see some people from the crowd that were fed by Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000. They pursued Jesus when they realized he was no longer on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, again, this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 took place in northern Israel on the eastern side of the sea. They realized that Jesus nor his disciples were not there, so they went to look for him. Why did they look for him? Jesus exposed their heart because he said, you didn't look for me because you understood the signs. You look for me because you wanted more food. You wanted merely the physical. This is why you look for me, lesser motives. And if we understand this text, this is what we need to know. They wanted someone like Moses. What do I mean? A couple of weeks ago, we, we mentioned in, 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 in verse 15 of John chapter 6 that they tried to force Jesus to make him king. Moses was a deliverer. Moses rescued the people from bondage in Egypt. They wanted someone like Moses. But not only that, what else did Moses do? Moses was the conduit by which God dropped some wonderful Krispy Kreme donuts from the sky called manna. 
Moses fed us this manna, which we're gonna, you're going to see that in the next week, in the coming weeks, that this is why they followed. But they thought, man, we got someone like Moses. Not only would he deliver us, but he would give us food to eat all the time. This was their motivation. So again, as we look at these verses, I want to ask you again, what is your motivation? What is my motivation? Why am I seeking? Why do I pray? Am I looking for something merely physical or am I, am I looking for something selfish or do I want God to set the agenda that I would come under and follow? The text begins by stating in verse 22, on the next day. This transition statement <clears throat> connects what took place before Jesus walking on water that we saw last week and the feeding of the 5,000 on the next day. So John is going to connect these stories so that the reader will understand and reflect on Jesus as the bread of life. This is what we're going to see. Jesus is the bread of life. Now, what happened? The crowd that witnessed this feeding, they recognized that only one boat had brought over Jesus and the disciples. There was only one boat. And then on this day, where's Jesus? Where, 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 where are the disciples? Gone. So what did they do? They got into a boat to go to the western side, northwestern side, to Capernaum to look for Jesus. The people, when they found Jesus, they began a conversation with him. A conversation that this is the rest of our text. We're going to see what this conversation consisted of even going into next week. But where did they find Jesus? I don't know about you, but I'm always asking this type of question when I come to the text. Like, where are they? Are they standing by the water? Are they on the shore? Are they on the beach? Where were they? If you look at John 6 and 59, it tells us, I believe, where they were. The text says that Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So Jesus is in a place of worship. He is teaching, and the crowd comes there, and they begin to ask Jesus these questions that he begins to address. But here's the first thing I would like for us to see in this text that is found in verses 25 to 26. Our first point is this. Friends, miracles can be damaging to genuine faith. Miracles can be damaging to genuine faith. John says in these verses, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi. Really, hot. think about that word, Rabbi. We don't walk around using that word today, uh, going up to somebody who we are under as disciples and we call them our teacher or say rabbi. They said, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, again, when the crowd addressed Jesus as rabbi, it should, if we if we are just remembering Remember that there were only other two other times, I think at this point, that this word was used. The first was by Andrew, Peter's brother, when they saw Jesus in John chapter 1, and then by Nicodemus. Nicodemus refers to Jesus when he got, when they had the discussion, he referred to him as rabbi. Rabbi literally means my great one. It was normally used of a student to his teacher. So now, if we, if we, if we pick up what, what John is saying, like, to us, it seems like this crowd is coming to Jesus because they are acknowledging him as the supreme teacher. Yeah, they use that language, but it's going to be 
quickly understood that even their words betrayed their, they, they were confused. They called him teacher, but as the coming verses will show, they're going to dispute what Jesus taught. So for those of us, I, I can say this, you know, I'm, I'm a parent. And if, for those of you who got parents, do, do, did your kids ever come to you and they act like you don't know what you're talking about? They're questioning you about what you're saying or saying that you're not right, right? Or, or, or students in the classroom, a college classroom, professor, this person, with, I'm talking about they got more, they, they got just letters behind their name, degrees. They've done the work. And then the student comes up and says, that's not right. Excuse me? And then they, they start to pontificate on all of the stuff that they think that the teacher got wrong. Again, I'm not saying that we can't be wrong, but what I'm saying is a, a student will go to a teacher, and this is more inflammatory when it comes to Jesus. Jesus is teaching, and he is letting the people know he's going to talk about what it means to, 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 to eat true bread. And this crowd is going to become clear that they were totally confused, and they're disputing what the Lord Jesus teaches. Now, why would they do this? Why would they do this? See, they wanted Jesus as king, but were clueless about his reign. And we're not much different from this crowd. We're not much different if we don't let God set the agenda for our lives. Question, friends, and I have to ask this for myself too. Do you bring, do we bring our own agenda to him and ask him to co-sign that agenda? Or do we say, I want to submit to your will and your way. You set the agenda for my life, and I'm going to follow. You set the agenda, Lord God. But here's the, here's the thing. When God sets the agenda, it doesn't jive with our agenda. And because he messes up our agenda, we be like, oh, Jesus, my bad. I believe in you, but this is messing up my flow. This is messing up what I want. But if he is the good shepherd, we'll see this in John chapter 10, if he is the one who's leading, then I want to follow wherever you are leading, Lord. I want to follow you wherever you go. We, send, we tend to say, I will follow you wherever, but we need to put uh, some dot, dot, dot behind that. I will follow you if you go down this path. I will follow you if it's not hills or peaks and valleys. I will follow you if the road is smooth. This crowd did not understand Jesus' reign. We must understand his reign. We must allow him to set the agenda. And here's the other thing we need to understand. The Lord Jesus does not take sides. We love to, even in our day, you got to choose one or the other. Who are you going to be with politically? Who are you going to be with whatever neighborhood you're in? Like, whatever it is, we want to choose sides. And we think Jesus chooses sides. Jesus don't take sides. He takes over. He takes over. He does not, I don't care how much we want him to side with one group over another, Jesus does not side with any particular group. When Jesus comes, and I love it, he's going to crack the sky. He's going to come, he's going to call his people home to be with him. In this kingdom, there's not going to be sections in the kingdom of, there's Baptists over there, there's Presbyterians over here, there's Methodists over here, there's Kojics over here. That's not going to be that. Jesus is going to be like, you are my people, we are one together, and I am ruling. He sets the agenda. The crowd asked Jesus a question when they found him. They said, 
Rabbi, when did you get here? When did you get here? Now, this question means both. When did you get here and how did you get here? This is what is in this question. They wanted to know, Jesus, how in the world did you get here so quickly? So Jesus begins by answering their questions by saying, truly, truly. Now, when we read that, we think Jesus is about to answer that question. But if you look closely, Jesus did not even address that question. He's not telling them how quickly he got over there. He began to address something deep within them that was the problem. You see, if Jesus had told him them the nature of his crossing, that he walked on water, that when, when he got into the boat, immediately they were at their destination. If he had done this, if you remember verse 15, they would have probably tried all the more to force him to be king again. Shoot, you just fed us a great meal with five loaves and two fish, and you fed about 20,000 people. I know we read 5,000, but we need to do our multiplication and addition, my math teaches. You know, we need to get into it. Like, Jesus fed thousands. Think of a basketball arena. He fed all of these folks. And now, Jesus, if he would have told them, like, yeah, I walked on water, and when I got in the boat, we were immediately there, then that would have just inflamed them even more. We got to make him king. But Jesus doesn't address that. Jesus understood that for the crowd, the, uh, th this miracle would have been a hindrance to who, to who he truly is for them. So Jesus exposed them by saying that they did not seek him because they saw and understood the signs that pointed to who he is. They just sought him because they wanted more food, which is going to become evident next week. See, the sign of the feeding of the 5,000 pointed to the gospel, to Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. <clears throat> How many of you hate shopping at Walmart? Uh, yeah, all right. Uh, y'all hands. <laughs> yeah, y'all amazing. I go to Walmart. I don't like it. I really don't like it. There has been no time in my life that I've ever gone to Walmart and the parking lot was not packed. Never. But you know when it's the most packed? Christmas. During Christmas. It is slammed. And, and for those of us who maybe buy gifts, Walmart typically, they have something that I, I need to go there to get in. When you go into Walmart, you only go in there for that item and you're trying to get in line and get out. But for me, it would dawn on me in Walmart, all of these people are here because there is a store-wide sale going on. And everybody wants this sale. They want these goods at a reduced price. This is the problem with most people today when it comes to the Lord Jesus. Everyone wants him when he's on sale. As long as we could get things from God at a reduced price or even free, we all in. Jesus, don't ask me to do nothing as I'm a part of your body. Don't ask me anything. But if I could just do this and it's just free for me, I want it all. I will get in the long line of the free stuff. But as soon as Jesus places something on our lives that's going to cost us. Now, I'm not saying salvation costs you anything. But once you are saved now, he could put on you, like, if you, you want to follow me, 
You want to be my disciple? Take up your cross daily. Reject yourself. Come and follow me. <clears throat> Serve one another. Love one another. Then those, those things that he places on us, we think in our day now it costs too much. I'm too busy. Man, I, I got kids, Jesus. I got kids. I, 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 can't, I can't be to church every Sunday, Jesus. You know that. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad here. But I'm, I'm just saying, this is when it costs us something. It's like, nah, Jesus, I need what you do and what you bring in our lives. I, I need this for free. What is the price that Jesus requires? Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The older I get, the more that I know that this is true. I'm not saying I think I know it. When I try to save my life is when it just goes through my hands. I can't grab it. But at the moment I deny myself, lose my life for his sake is when I find it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? See, the crowd shows us that miracles can be damaging to genuine faith. The next thing I would like for us to notice is in verse 27. That we should desire spiritual food that endures to eternal life. Jesus says in verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. See, Jesus addressed what they were really pursuing. It was physical food that perishes or that spoils. They misunderstood what the kingdom of God would be like. See, they were thinking purely in, in materialistic and physical terms when it comes to the kingdom of God. By the way, I'm, I'm just reminded right now of a, a particular church. I'm not going to call a name, but it's in another state. And I have friends that attend this church. And this church teaches the kingdom. But they attach to the kingdom that you should be wealthy. So if you're wealthy, then you're showing the kingdom. And this is a problem for me because what about the person who's living check to check? Are they any less in the kingdom? Are they any less in the kingdom? If they're trusting in the Lord Jesus, if they don't have all of the accoutrements or all of the stuff of this world. This crowd is thinking purely in terms of what's physical and being a part of the kingdom. I'm not saying Jesus does not care about our physical lives. Just go read Matthew 6, and 30, uh, Matthew 6, especially around 33. He says, and before that, he says, God already knows what you need before you ask. So don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear. But then Jesus says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So this is a comfort to me. Jesus knows I need food today. He knows, and praise God, I have clothes in my closet. They may not be the most up-to-date clothes, but I got clothes to put on my back. When I know some people that have been wearing the same clothes for over two months and hadn't been washed. He knows what we need before we ask, but he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Then all the things that we need might be added to us. That's not what the text says. It says, will be added to you. See, Jesus tells us not to pursue the food that perishes, but food that endures to eternal life. What is physical 
will perish. Paul says in Colossians 2, verses 20 through 22, he says, if, Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits to, of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Paul says that the things of the world will perish as they are used. Friends, you do know that there is absolutely nothing physical that you have right now that you're taking with you to the kingdom. Nothing. Not your house, not your car, not your money, uh, not, 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 not your clothes. Nothing that you have physical is going with you into the kingdom. Number one, we're going to get new clothes that he's going to give us. I'm not going to need the word of God because Jesus is going to be before me and he is the word. I don't need money because everything is going to be for free. We're going to eat good food too. I don't have to go to the store. On the tree is going to be, of the, of, of the trees in the garden, there's going to be all types of fruit that we can eat. And it's going to be a blessing. And we can even eat from the tree of life in our glorified state, now that when we eat that fruit, we won't be forever in our sin. This is where we're going. So why do I need this stuff to come with me? I don't need it. We don't need it. It all perishes. Jesus has something greater to give. Later on, he will say that he is the food. He is the one that we should feed on. He is the one that gives life as believers. He gives us a future. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 1 and 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How many blessings we got, y'all? Where are they? In the heavenly places. What's in heaven? Everything. Forget my Ebonics but I'm so glad I can use Ebonics in the kingdom. <laughs> Everything. Every spiritual blessing. Jesus says to work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. I love it. Jesus does not use the word Messiah. If Jesus would have used the word Messiah, again, this would have been politically charged, and it would again say he's the one trying to make him king. But he used the word Son of Man. This term is associated with the revelation brought from heaven to earth. It is the Son of Man who has been approved, attested, and accepted by the Father. It is this Jesus who offers us food at no cost to us that endures to eternal life. The story is told of a man who went on a cruise. And this man wanted this cruise so bad that he saved up his money and spent all that he had to get on this cruise. So in his mind, I paid all the money for the cruise, how can I eat? So this man made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for seven days. That's all he made. That's all I can afford. So this man packed up. And y'all, I grew up in an era where well, we, we took food to lunch, and you made them sandwiches. And by the time lunchtime came, and them sandwiches were decrepit and old, and you know what I mean? So imagine having all these sandwiches for a week. But he wanted to be on his cruise. But here's what messed the man up. While he's on the cruise, He's watching other people walk around with 
big plates, steak and chicken, and, and they're eating in the, in, in the area of the dining room. And he's noticing all these people eating food, and he's eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And so one day he's walking down the hall, and he sees a man walk by him with a plate. And he stops, and again, by this time, it's just, he's tired of eating that peanut butter and jelly. So he says to the man, excuse me, uh, how much did that, place cost, that plate cost? And the man with the plate looked confused, like, what, huh? Excuse me, no, no. This meal is included in the price of the ticket. It's free if you paid for your ticket. Friends, many of us are eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and wondering why we are not enjoying the delicious meal that Jesus gives. We're settling for less. I remember hearing uh, a rapper tell this story, I think, and also I think he referenced C.S. Lewis, where C.S. Lewis said, man, God has, has prepared this sumptuous table, all of this food, and yet instead of us coming to the table, we're content to stay and eat the slop and be in the mud. We're settling for that. We're settling for PB&Js. We look at other Christians and wonder, why are they seemingly thriving in their faith and we seem to be struggling? Friends, for those of us in Christ Jesus, we know that our Savior is right now seated where? At the right hand of the Father. Where is he right now? Y'all can talk to me. Don't worry about it. Y'all ain't going to be recorded. He's seated right now at the right hand of the Father victorious. When he did this, all meals were included. When he said it is finished, everything was included. Every spiritual blessing. Everything we need is in the ticket of salvation that he purchased. All of the help, all of the strength, all of the grace is in that ticket. How do you access it? You, you could come boldly to the throne of grace. That's what Hebrews tells us. Oh, man, I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I want to go into my old black church moment and shout that when Jesus died, it says that the temple, the curtain was rent from top to bottom. We are Gentiles. The Gentiles could only go so far. When Jesus died, not only was that way open for Gentiles, but now with the curtain being torn, that only the high priest could go in. Now we don't need a high priest because Jesus is our high priest. We can go in the Holy of Holies and we can petition him. Lord, I need right now. But so often, I wonder why we're staying on the outside. When we could come in, we could come in and get everything that we need. So finally, friends, in verses 28 to 29, I want us to notice that the material notions of blessings are not worth pursuing. Material notion of blessing, it's not worth pursuing. The text says that they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. The people asked Jesus a question about doing legitimate work that would give them assurance of being accepted by God. But here's the problem. They believed that they could actually do something by working that would make them acceptable to God. Does this sound familiar? That they can actually do something. Oh man, we live in a culture and a society that tells you if you just, 
strap up the boots, tighten up, work hard, you will achieve. I think we transpose that into our spiritual lives. Pray more. Pray harder. Sweat while you're praying. Read the Bible for 16 hours a day. If you do that, you're a super Christian to me. Teach me. But we just think we got to work harder, do more. But here's the problem. None of us can work hard enough to be acceptable by God in any way. It's nothing that you can do. What, what, what can you physically do in working that's going to make God say, you see, they got all the goods. I want them. I know y'all, this, the, our culture may say that to you. You got the goods. Come on my team. But that doesn't apply to the kingdom. What I love about the kingdom is like, you don't have the goods and I love you anyway. Come on. You don't have it. Matter of fact, you've been rejected. But I died for you. Come on. I love you. This is kingdom. And all the work that we have to do is to believe. To have faith in the one that he has sent. Ephesians 2 tells us that we have been saved by grace through faith. And then in verse 10, we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Notice it. We are saved by grace. And because we have been saved by grace, now we are free to do good works. But these are good works that he prepared beforehand. These are not works that you've determined. These are works that he has already created you for. Friends, again, I want to shout here. Before we were born, before the foundation of the world, he determined that he was going to save us. But at that time, he also determined, this is the work that I have for you to do. Are you, friends, walking in the destiny? Am I walking in the destiny for which Christ has died to, uh, to give me? You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a preacher. But he has something for you to do that will impact the world. It will impact the world. What if you never go overseas? It doesn't matter because the world starts where your toes end. If you could reach right where you are, who's to say that God won't begin to unleash and send people that you've touched to the ends of the earth? See, it's not literal work that Jesus points to. He tells us the work that is required in verse 29, that we believe in him who he has sent. This is the work God requires, and that is faith. I don't know if you've heard this, but I hate this statement. Have you ever said or heard someone say, I'm stepping out on faith? I hate that statement. Because faith must have an object. Faith to be faith must have an object. To step out on faith is no object. The object that our faith must have is the one he has sent, the Lord Jesus Christ. God requires faith. In Jesus, not works in the sense that we understand work. All of us in Christ Jesus, we've come to Jesus by faith because it is he who grants us what is infinitely greater and anything, and be, anything that we could do. It is Jesus that accomplished it. The story is told of a little boy who was in the grocery store with his mom and they were checking out. And as they're checking out, the grocer looked at the mother and asked the mother, can I give your son some candy? The mother said, yes, you, you give him some candy. So the, the, the man said to the son, son, reach in this jar and get as much candy as you want. The son said, no, 
you reach in and give me some candy. So the man said, okay. He reached in, got some candy, and gave it to the boy. And so when, 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 the, when him and his mother got to the car, the mom said, why wouldn't you take the candy? Why did you tell him to give you the candy? The boy simply said to his mama, because his hands were bigger than mine. He could give me more. Friends, if God's children would simply let God be God, we would soon discover that his hands are much bigger than ours. And that what he gives is infinitely greater. It's not us working for it. It's us trusting in him. Because his hands are infinite hands. And the blessings he gives are infinite. What we could do won't even come close to matching up to what he gives us. We can't work for what he offers. And what he offers is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what our tables point to. This is what the tables point to. So what is the work that God requires? Faith. Or to believe in the one that he has sent. Let's pray.